What up, family? This is a sermon from the downtown congregation of Park Church. May it bless your soul as you dig deeper into God's Word. More resources and info are online at parkchurch.org. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 114. That's where we'll be this morning. It's always a joy to be here worshiping with you guys. All right. Psalm 114. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange land, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning here. Good morning, guests. Good morning online. Those of you who are joining us, um, it is a blessing to have this tool this summer, I know as some of you are traveling on vacation or you're still able to kind of worship with us, even though you're kind of all over the country, maybe even all over the world. So if you're tuning in in your kitchen or dining room or living room or vacation rental, welcome to you as well. Um, that was weird. One of my boys was down here jumping around, like the orange hair. That's how you recognize our kids, like the bright orange hair. And then the other one was standing next to me, and I promised they were in the same backyard all week, okay? <laughs> so for, for those of you who's, like, your parents and you're like, my kid was there too, I'll just start a support group for us. <laughs> just like, my kid's not getting up there, so I get it. Let's, let's pray, and we'll be in Psalm 114. Um, Father, we, we pause... Lord, sometimes in um, the liturgy of a church, we, we have this moment of like prayers of the people where we recognize there is a lot of stuff going on in our church family, in our city, and all around the world that we are, we are trying to stop intentionally in the rhythm of our life and say that, Lord, we need you in real time, not as a concept, not as something that we believe or someone that we believe in, Lord, we need you to be active in our lives, active in our world, Lord, and whether that's, um, or just even looking around our, our country this week and a, a, just a huge tragedy down in Miami this week, and we, we want to be a people who are grieving with those who grieve. Um, slowing down to realize if, if our lives are blessed, hopefully we're sharing that blessing, um, taking the privilege and the opportunities and even the, the tangible benefits that you've given to us and intentionally overflowing those things into the lives of other people. Um, I know that most of our opportunities to do that are more local, but Lord, make us a church filled with people that are doing that. that we're not just happy that maybe we're doing okay, but that we look out for the one that you've put in our path today who may not have as much and help us to be a church filled with love. As Chris talked about last week, that we're we're mimicking, we're copying the actions of our Lord where he didn't just look down from heaven, but he stooped down and put himself on our level in order to meet us right where we were and to not just show compassion, 
but to act on our behalf to lift us out of our brokenness. Um, Lord, we just we continue to pray for issues in our neighborhood here where we live and worship and serve. Lord, would you make us attentive to these things? Would you release whatever fears, doubts, pride that we have that's holding back from loving and serving our neighbors well? Um, we're excited about opportunities coming up to do that together as a church, but I think really a lot of the ways that we're loving our city well are happening because each individual here, each family group, each marriage, um, each just apartment of roommates has determined that this is how they're going to live on mission for you. So help us to do that, Lord. Um, continue, Lord, to, to transform us by your word that we look at this morning. Um, amazing short psalm. Help us to enjoy it. Help us to not just cognitively learn from it, but to be changed by it, um, to be more worshipful people, more surrendered people for your namesake. Amen. I want you to think of the most important event in your life up to this point, or maybe the most impactful event in your life up to this point, something that you would say, I will never forget this thing that has happened to me for as long as I live. There's no way it will be released from my memory. And for some of you, that may be a moment of anguish or pain physically or emotionally, relationally. For some of you, that may be something that was overwhelmingly joyful or you are so deeply satisfied in some moment of time or in some instance that you're like, I would never forget this thing that was done to me or that happened to me. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a complete change in direction in your life or maybe even a reversal of fortune where you were doing fine and suddenly the bottom fell out and everything was terrible. Or maybe the reverse is true, that things were going so poorly and God did something in your life that was this amazing reversal of fortune where suddenly so many things were going right. For the Jews, this unforgettable event was the exodus. And probably most of you know that's in the days of the leader Moses, God delivered the Israelite people, the Hebrews, the Jews, from over 400 years of bondage, of slavery in Egypt. Those events of the Exodus are central to Israel's history and central to Israel's identity. Israel, Jews, will never forget that first Passover. In fact, every year they have a feast a great high feast where they commemorate these events every single year and they rehearse what happened, what did God do, and what is the meaning and the significance of those events. And these events are also memorialized in the pages of Scripture and not just in the book of Exodus. As we come to a psalm this morning that's one of several psalms that rehearses these events of the Exodus. And as I read this, I think the original intent of this psalm, whenever it was written, and it's anonymous, we don't know for sure who the author was, but it seems to be written to the people of Israel as kind of a call to remember what God has done and a call to respond accordingly. So I think the people of Israel at various different times of their history had kind of forgotten the Exodus. And I don't mean that they had forgotten the events because they would never forget the events. But I mean, they forgot 
how does that transform our lives as we live today, 100 years later, 500 years later, 1,000 years later, now 3,400 years later? So I would say it like this. They knew the story of their salvation, but not the significance of it. They could rehearse the basic facts, but their lives were not often being transformed by what God had done to deliver their ancestors and to transform their everyday lives. And I think that's incredibly relevant because don't a lot of us deal with the same thing in the 21st century American church? If I asked most of you, you would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And you could rehearse the basic facts of your salvation or what Jesus did for you. And you could say, you know, cognitively, academically, I know these things. As a matter of fact, I believe these things. And you do, most of you. But then we go back to work. We go back to our relationships. We go back to the day-to-day grind with all that's happening around us in our culture or something gets sideways in a conversation where someone criticizes something you did and how quickly we lose sight of the gospel story and its relevance to everyday life. And so the theme of what I'm gonna unpack from Psalm 114 this morning is super simple. I think the psalmist is saying, rehearse and respond to the story of your salvation. So it kind of sets up very nicely with those two points, right? He's saying, rehearse the story of your salvation. And that's what most of this psalm does. And then he says, respond to the story of your salvation. So let's look at those two points. Rehearse the story of your salvation. Now, what's fascinating to me is this short psalm actually shows us five different dimensions or facets or components of this one salvation. And I love this because what the psalmist is showing you is God's salvation is comprehensive. It is massive. And what he's going to show us here and what I'm going to go through quickly with you is he shows you God rescues you from, God rescues you to, God rescues you through, God rescues you with, and God rescues you for. And if you're like, what do you mean? Let's go, okay? Verse one, God rescues you from. Look at this. He says, when Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language. This is simply a reminder Your ancestors were literal slaves in a foreign land. They were not free to come and go. They were not free even to worship Yahweh as they pleased. They had taskmasters and they had chains. And when they complained about how hard life was, Pharaoh said, fine, take away their straw and they can work harder. They can gather the straw and they can make bricks for all my building projects. If you go back to Exodus chapter one, it says this, Pharaoh set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They were oppressed. In all their work, they, that is the taskmasters, ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And that's before Pharaoh decided to kill all their baby boys. Exodus chapter three characterizes the experience of the Jews as affliction and sufferings. And friends, I want you to remember and understand this went on for 21 generations, 430 years. That's a lot longer than the entire history of America. Generation after generation after generation. And verse one, just in passing, is like God saved you from all of that affliction, all of that oppression, all of that slavery, okay? Two, God rescues you, two. Verse two says, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. 
And let's pause right there because what it's saying is God didn't just bring his people out of Egypt, out of bondage. He also brought them into the promised land and he made a new nation. You know, they were Hebrews, they were people, there was an ethnicity, but there was not a sovereign nation in any sense of that term. And what it's saying here is in Egypt, they were not free to worship Yahweh, but God liberated them to give them, and it says here, their own sanctuary, which is literally like a holy place. You didn't have a holy place, but I'm giving you a holy place. I'm bringing you into a holy place. In Egypt, they were dominated by these ruthless taskmasters who, were, who served a cold-blooded dictator, and God liberated them to live in his dominion which is Joel said in our worship is like, now we're under the kingship of God himself. We live under his power and authority free from all these other dominions. Now I understand there's not much detail here, but verse two is hinting at this greater reality. God did not merely free his people from bondage and say, now you can fend for yourselves. Good luck with that. Enjoy the wilderness. It says he's freeing them to prosperity, and a life of worship, and a life of purpose in this place that he had prepared for them. God worships them from, God worships them to. Number three, God, worship, or God rescues you. I said worship. God rescues you from, God rescues you to, God rescues you through. This comes from verses three and five. And notice something interesting here. These verses repeat themselves. Verse five says the exact same thing as verse three. It says the, the Red Sea fled and the Jordan River turned back. So let's just take those line by line. When did the sea flee? Well, this is a reference to Exodus chapter 14. And again, many of you will know the story that, that God eventually did liberate the people of Israel from Egyptian captivity. Finally, on Passover night, Pharaoh's son dies and he says, fine, go, get out. And they go. I mean, their shoes are on, they're ready to go, they flee. And you gotta picture this massive caravan of maybe even as many as like a million or more people like running for their lives from Egypt like toward the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh has this change of heart and he's like, whoops, I shouldn't have let all my slaves go who built all the stuff that I enjoy. And so he says, 600 chariots are to pursue them and all the horsemen and all the armies of Egypt. And now the people are up against the Red Sea and they're turning around, there's bigger and bigger and closer and closer clouds of dust. And finally they see like all the armies of Egypt are pursuing us and we are trapped against the Red Sea. Again, this is Exodus 14. And the people, for the first time, turn on Moses and just give him a tongue lashing. Like, would that we had just died in Egypt and not been brought out here to be cut down in the desert. Moses responds, this is Exodus 14, 13. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And that's incredible, because it's like, what did Moses think God was going to do? He doesn't know. He just, then he's like, okay, God, I just, I just represented. Everybody stand back and watch what God's going to do. And he's like, help, right? And it says, God responds to Moses. It says, stretch your staff over the sea. The Bible says, the Lord, when Moses did that, drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night 
and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel, again, don't, don't picture like 25 of them, picture like a million of them, walk through on dry ground to the other side, and as the armies of Egypt pursue them, God just releases those walls of water, and they come crashing in, and the, the chariots are bogging down in the mud, and the people are defeated, and God's people are free. That's what this fleeing of the Red Sea is a reference to. The next line says, the Jordan turned back. Well, what's that about? Well, that's, this you gotta forward, fast forward all the way to Joshua chapter three. This is not when the people are coming out from Egypt, but rather when they're trying to go into the promised land, and if you know the story, 40 years later, because they decided to just mess around in the wilderness with rebellion instead of follow God into the blessing that he had already prepared for them. But they're finally ready to go under this new leader, Joshua. They're finally ready to go, the next generation's ready to go into the promised land. And the only problem is the raging Jordan River during rainy season stands between them and the promised land. And now it's this time they're like mad at Joshua because that's just what the people of God do, get mad at whoever's leading them, right? Um, so God tells Joshua, have the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments now, just have them set foot into the raging river. And the Bible says the moment they do that and the soles of their feet touch that water, I'll read it for you because this is pretty cool. It says, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. And again, the people of Israel marched right through on dry ground into the land that God had given them. And, and here is what I think the point is of the author. When God saves, he doesn't magically teleport his people from and to all the blessing. You know from experience, you are going through obstacles. You are going through challenges. You are going through things that cause you to doubt and to be afraid and to say, God, what are you doing putting these people in my life? And you're looking at things that are insurmountable to you that are not insurmountable to God. And he's like, I'll rescue you right through the middle of something you think there's no way we go through this. Okay, that's God rescuing you through. Now, number four, God rescues you with, look at verse eight, the very last verse is referring to this God who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. And God literally did this at least twice that we know about, once in Exodus 17 and again in Numbers 20. I wanna focus just on the Exodus incident for a moment. So this is backing up again in the story. God has just led the people out of Egypt. He's you know parted an ocean for them. He's drowned the most powerful army in the world behind them. They're safe. They get to the other side and they're like, okay, what do we have to be mad about now? Oh, we don't have food. So God gives them manna. Like some other place says, like the, 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 the food of angels, some kind of bread from heaven daily. Who knows how long they waited eating manna, but the next thing that happens, they start complaining to God about the lack of dietary variety. And so God gives them quail and they keep moving on. They're getting a little bit closer to the promised land. And then they start complaining like we don't have water. God's not gonna provide for us. Moses let us out in the wilderness to kill us. Exodus 17, verse six. God hears the complaining of his people in the context of everything that he's doing for them. 
And God tells Moses this, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock with your staff, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And that's what happened. And what you see is God is not just there at the beginning of the story and the end of the story. Like, I'm there on the cross, and I'll meet you in heaven. The point is, like, God is there every step of the way, and he's saving his people over and over and over again with daily provision and sustaining grace. Okay? And the point of the writer is God will rescue you with everything you need for today, even if it's out of some impossible source. Joel, I cheated wherever you are. I listened to your sermon from last week. This is really cool. He says, he says, like God, this, this God in just probably a few days, maybe a few weeks has already shown his people, I'm the God who makes water dry and who makes dry water. I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do to rescue you. That's how great my love is for you. But now we're all the way to the fifth form of rescue, which is God rescues you for verses two and seven. And what's the ultimate point of verse two? If you look at it again, is it simply that God will lead his people into the promised land and give them a temple? No, the, the parallel verse, so this is, this is called a chiasm. So in Hebrew poetry, you have a center point and then as you go out forward and backward in the psalm, you have other lines that match up and are parallel with one another. And the parallel to verse two is verse seven in this poem. It's a poem, it's a song. And what's verse seven all about? It's about the presence of God, okay? Why ultimately did God rescue Israel? It was to be with them. See, going back to the third chapter of the Bible, when the first man and the first woman sinned, the consequence was separation from God. So the best news of Israel's salvation that they're rehearsing here in Psalm 114 is not, man, we got out of Egypt. It's not, we got into the promised land. It's not, we got manifestations of the awesome power of God. The best news is they got God. They got the presence of God. That's what Jesus, that's what God rescued them for is so that he could be in their midst and give them a tabernacle and later give them a temple and say, I'm gonna make a way for a holy and righteous God to live in the presence of his people to show everyone I'm with them and I'm for them. And this presence is the greatest news of all. Now, I wanna apply this before I go on to the second point, because what I want you to see is that we understand from scripture, the Exodus, like the Exodus, is a pattern of another kind of salvation. Now, these events, we believe as followers of God, that these events happened in real space-time history in the 1400s BC. But they are a pattern for how God always saves someone, not just physically, but how God saves spiritually, holistically. Okay, so, so look at these five points again for just a moment. What has God saved you from? God has saved you from sin, from the penalty of your sin. You don't have to pay that because he says, I'll provide a substitute to pay for that. 
He saved you from guilt and shame. If you're walking around from guilt and shame, let's talk about what the word has to say about that because we are guilty and we do bear shame. But Jesus also says, put that on me. He saved you from that. He saved you from being enslaved to idols. He saved you from being separated from him. Okay, what has God, has, what has God saved you to? Well, a million things, but he saved you to eternal life. He saved you to forgiveness. He saved you to freedom. He saved you to all the blessings and the inheritance that Jesus earned for you. He saved you to do all of that, okay? What has God saved you through? Well, I don't know each of your individual stories, but God has saved you through your own doubts and questions. God has saved you all. Because James says trials happen to everybody. So I know that God has saved you and is saving you through trials, challenges, obstacles, things that you look at and you're like, there's no way over that wall. And God's just like, I'll take you through the wall. Okay? So some of you, God has saved you through cancer. He saved you through divorce. He saved you through an abusive situation. He saved you through joblessness or homelessness or any number of other things. But God is up to the same thing in your lives. What has God saved you with? Showing you I'm not just there at the beginning and the end of your story, but I'm with you every step of the way. How has he sustained you? How has he provided for you? How has he met you in the wilderness of your life and said, I'm still here So I'll give you what you need. I'll give you grace for today. And what has God saved you for? He saved you for himself. He saved you for a reconciled relationship that is intimate, that is is this close. He saved you to experience the joys of his forever love. That's what he saved you for. So, so what I'm doing right now, and I'd encourage you each this week, whether you're in a gospel community or not, just take those five points. And I mean, you don't have to write a book, but I'd write a story. This is my story of redemption. This is what God has saved me from, to, through, with, and for. We're rehearsing the story of our salvation. Now point two, the, and there's only two points. Now respond. Respond to the story of your salvation in all the ways that it's appropriate for you to respond. So just like verse five repeats verse three, I want you to notice one other instance of repetition here. Verse six basically quotes verse four and both talk about the mountains and hills skipping like rams and lambs, okay? Now, most commentators agree that this is probably a reference to Exodus 19. And here's the picture. The people have come out. God's already given them water from the rock and delivered them, and he's feeding them every day, and he leads them halfway through the wilderness of Sinai to a mountain, and he's like, okay, people stay down here, and I'm gonna go up on this mountain, and I'm gonna meet with Moses up on this mountain. So all the people are down here gathered on the plains, and Moses goes up into the mountains. And the Bible says that, again, this is Exodus 19, This mountain is wrapped in thunders and lightnings and heavy, thick, dense smoke. And then we read this in verse 19, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Hebrews 12, 26 says, at that time, his voice shook the earth. Question, how is the earth, like the physical earth, responding to the presence and the power of God? 
or I can put it like this, to personify the earth, because that's what the psalm is doing, the earth is watching this story of redemption unfold before its eyes and responds, how? It trembles. It trembles at this awesome story that God is unpacking, unfurling before their eyes. And, and why is this important? Well, what's, what is it the one imperative or command of this entire psalm? Verse seven, tremble, O earth. So it means tremble, O inhabitants of the earth at the presence of the Lord. Basically he's saying creation already trembles at his presence. Will you join? That's what he's saying. And here's the point, here's, here's the key. How should you and I respond? And I mean, not, not once, not in altar call. I mean, every day, moment by moment of our lives, how should we be responding? How should we be living in light of this good news that God saved us from and to and through and with and for? How do we respond to that? You tremble. That's what it says. Verse seven, you and I tremble. And I don't know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or it's not story time, but can you think of the last time you trembled? Because we hear that word and, and, and what are you immediately thinking when you hear the word tremble? You're thinking fear, right? And you're thinking not just fear, you're thinking of a certain kind of fear that's happened maybe just a few times in your life where you're, you're physically shaken and shaking and you're not able to stop I remember one time I was in a car accident. Well, more than one time I was in a car accident. But so this happens every time I'm in a car accident. Um, and I survive. And you have that moment where you're kind of like, okay, that just happened. And you're shaky. You're, you're scared of like what could have happened, what God saved you from. And there's like this fear. And that is the dominant meaning of this Hebrew word, cool. Like just trembling in the greatest of fears. Okay, but, but let me point out, as most Hebrew words this is true of, it has this wide semantic range. So here's how else it's used in scripture. It can also mean to writhe in pain or anguish. So it's used of a woman in childbirth and that, that writhing of this is physically painful or the anguish of coming judgment. Okay, that, that's still negative. Um, this gets a little bit better. There's, it's, it's sometimes used as like a trembling with expectation so some of you have kids and it's like, it's Christmas Eve and there's like, there's a, there's a trembling and it's an excitement and we can't go to bed. And it's like, who gave the kids caffeine? And they're just like, they're quivering with excitement and expectation. The word's used that way. The word is also used to literally mean to whirl around and dance. Now, Psalm 96.9, this is important, says this, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before him all the earth. And if you know Hebrew poetry, it doesn't rhyme, but it's parallel thoughts. And the parallel words in Psalm 96.9 and other places, you can look this up, is tremble means what? It means worship, Okay. So I don't think the right posture before God, if you're redeemed, is like cowering in fear and you're just shaking because you're like, what's God going to do to me? That doesn't seem like the appropriate response. Writhing in pain and anguish doesn't seem like the appropriate response. But you want to whirl around and dance? 
You want to you quiver with excitement of like, God has started this story in my life and this is what he promises to do. And like, if he says he's going to do that, he's going to do it. And I got this expectation, this hope and this confidence and this reverence. That's the idea here. And what he's saying now in Psalm 114 is he's like, remember what great things God has done for you. Okay. Look at his past and his present and his future salvation Aren't you filled with a sense of awe and wonder, a reverence that kind of makes you quiver a little bit? Like God's pretty awesome and he's got a pretty awesome story for my life that includes the brokenness and the fears and the doubts and the pain and the setbacks. So he's saying quiver, and I'll just paraphrase, quiver with reverence, with gratitude, with amazement at God. Okay, now let me just show you one more thing in closing that made me quiver on a different level, okay? Um, I've studied this for a couple weeks. Chris mentioned this last week. This is part of a series of six Psalms. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 are known as the Egyptian Hallel. Hallel means praise. It's the Egyptian Hallel because they refer back to the Exodus. And it's important to note, and you won't see this in the text, but this particular collection of psalms was read and sung every year on Passover night. Every year. And that makes sense, right? You, you see the content of what's it, what's it praising God for? It's praising God for this amazing multifaceted rescue in the Exodus at the first Passover. And it's like, okay, we're remembering what God did and then we're trying to remember what do we do in light of that, okay? Now, as you let that sink in for a moment that the Jews every year, year after year, are singing this psalm on the night of Passover, remember that's the night that Jesus took the Last Supper with his disciples and then went to a cross. Okay, what do you think Jesus was thinking about these verses when he sang that psalm with his disciples on that night? This is powerful. I, I think some of this is borne out in Scripture. Much of it is. Much of it's our human experience. As they ate the lamb and drank the wine and broke the bread, Jesus was thinking, you're about to witness a Passover and an exodus that makes the first one pale in comparison. Okay. This is what he has to be thinking, singing these words. He has to be thinking, I am the perfect, ultimate, forever Passover lamb. And this bread is my body broken for you. And this wine is my blood shed for you. And I, I swear, he's got to be thinking, tomorrow I will stand on the rock and you will strike the rock and the earth will shake and everything sad will come untrue. I will bring you out of bondage to your sin, to death, to hell, to these satanic forces that think they got you in their bonds, in their chains and you will walk into freedom and forgiveness. You will be reconciled to the Father. You will have his presence because of what I do tonight and tomorrow night. Okay, so here's the thing. This entire psalm points back to the first exodus, the first Passover, and it points forward to the final exodus and the final Passover, which is in Jesus Christ. 
okay? So I, I read this whole Psalm. I think someone said this in our preaching team meeting, or maybe I'm just making this up, or maybe the, the Spirit brought this to me. So if you said this, one of you guys or one of you ladies, like, thank you, okay? I'll, I'll credit you that way, because that's all I got. Um, this is the Old Testament version of Romans 12, 1 and 2, this Psalm. Okay? So if you're familiar with this, basically the Apostle Paul takes 11 chapters of this heady, amazing, incredible, packed book of Romans, and he's like, you were dead in your sins. And I don't care if you're the rebel that's like just sending your brains out, or let's go to the beginning of chapter two, you self-righteous religious bigot who's looking at these people over here sending your brains out, and you're like, man, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm awesome. And he's like, no, you're not. You're a sinner. And he goes through this. So what did God save you from this sinful background that you were in your chains, you were dead? And he saved you to all these riches in Christ that are described in the book of Romans. He saved you through, and Romans goes through all that. We read one of these texts this morning. I, I brought you through, like none of these things can separate you from me because I'm rescuing through them. I'm rescuing you with, I'm rescuing you for, and you got, you got just like 11 chapters of grace upon grace and mercy and the story of good news. And he comes to chapter 12, and I'm gonna paraphrase. He comes to chapter 12, verses one and two, and he says, brothers and sisters, I'm appealing to you. I'm urging you on the basis of chapters one through 11. You see the story? I just rehearsed the story for you. I took 11 chapters to do it. Now, on the basis of all of that, I urge you, I implore you, present your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is the reasonable thing for you to do. Man, that's what, that, that to me is what Psalm 114 says. Rehearse the story of how God has saved you. And I'm saying, like right now in your mind, God saved me from, God saved me to, God saved me through God save me with, God save me for. Friends, what's your story? And if God saved you from that stuff, practically, why would you go back to that stuff? Man, I love prison. I love filth. There's this, we were watching the, I think it's the newest episode of The Chosen that's out where Mary Magdalene, it's fictional, but it could have easily happened where she goes back into her lifestyle from before. She slips, she goes back, she sins. And then she just feels this deep shame. And she's like, I don't want to see the master. I've let him down. And the disciples are like, come on, girl. Like, you, you don't know the master. You got to come. And he just wraps her in his arms and is like, did you really think you weren't going to sin again? Like, you're still here. You're still broken, but I'm making all things new. Let's, let's go. I got a place for you. I got a place for a lot of sinners. So I'm saying rehearse your own story. God has brought me out of this. He's brought me into this. He's brought me through this, all of these things. And then I'm just saying, I, I think what this Psalm is saying, then respond with this beautiful trembling mix of like joy and gratitude and worship and surrender because Jesus is worthy of all of this trembling. pray. Father, thank you for an incredible story. Though most people in this room are not ethnically Jews, you have graciously grafted us into your family, 
into this body of all those who put their faith in you. Lord, it's a joy to rehearse this story of these, you, you brought your people out from an impossible situation, from the world's greatest superpower. They had no power and no authority when you chose to release your people from that kind of bondage. How much more can you release us from anything? Lord, if there's someone here under the sound of my voice, here in this room or online or who even listens later, and they feel like, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what kind of chains of addiction or chains of shame or chains of self-righteousness that I am held captive by. I've tried to leave before. Lord, we are not belittling that person's previous experience. But would you break those chains this morning? Would you bring them out? Would you show them what you have planned for them? Where it's not just like, hey, I'll, I'll help you get out of jail free card one time, but then, you know, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity and see what you do with it. You're not that kind of God. You're not sitting back, just waiting to reward those who are most successful with their opportunity. You're there every step of the way. You're rescuing us through, you're rescuing us with, you're ultimately rescuing us for an intimate, joy-filled, amazing relationship that we were designed for. And we give you thanks. Lord, help us this week, each one of us, to recognize areas of our practical daily living that are not rehearsing this story, that are not living in light of this story. And Lord, we already thank you for your forgiveness. We're not begging you to transform us, to renew us, to forgive us. That's what you're about. That's what you love to do. But we receive that forgiveness for us. We want to come home. We want to live in your presence. We want to live holy lives. We want to bring other people to you and experience this same pattern of rescue in their lives. So Lord, continue this work that you've begun as you've promised to do. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.